We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, Best King Cox podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, May the 6th, 2021. Today's show, it's a Yard Cox baseball heavy episode, folks. It's first we start in the midweek. I talk South Carolina's big 7-6 midweek win over the North Florida Ospreys, guys. Gamecocks getting a really, really gutsy win at Founders Park, guys. I'll break down the game in its entirety. We'll also talk TSUS midweek MVP, what's next for South Carolina. Speaking of what's next, guys, I break down and preview this weekend series against the Mississippi State Bulldogs, the fourth-ranked Bulldogs coming to town for a three-game set at Founders Park, guys. I'll break down the series in its entirety, first things first, we'll break down Mississippi State. They're pitching, they're hitting also, of course, South Carolina. Their weekend rotation, what to watch for, key player of the weekend, much, much more from there as well. Also, we've got news and notes, your listener questions, and a fantastic conversation, guys. A really good one with what I would say is truly one of the OGs of South Carolina media. And again, you guys see him all over the place, Rick Henry of WIS-TV, and again, someone I'm honored that I got to speak with, a great conversation with him. We talked about everything from his career, being a Gamecock, South kind of football, his career in media, I mean, just awesome stuff. All over the board, Rick Henry taking his time. Truly do appreciate it, guys. we got a packed show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your your success. They have dedicated professional crew members and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
going on? Happy Thursday. Hope you're doing well. I'm your host, Chris Phillips of the Spurs Up Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. You know, when life throws you a curveball, right, you, you don't just swing and miss at it. You sit back, you make an adjustment, you adjust to it, and you drive that thing out the ballpark. And that is exactly what we are doing here on a Thursday. Of course, like I told you guys, no Daily Crow today. In case you didn't know, no Daily Crow. I am actually playing in a golf tournament in Greenwood, South Carolina tomorrow with a good buddy of mine, my best friend, inviting me out. We're going to do a little captain's choice. Going to have a really, really good time, something I'm really excited for, looking forward to. But I am actually not recording this show right now in the studio. I'm my best friend's house in one of his spare bedrooms, literally sitting in the bed recording this podcast. So again, not in the studio, but I was like, you know what? We got to obviously get the show in. We got a lot to talk about, a lot of Gamecocks baseball, diving into Carolina baseball. But we're going to, I was like, hey, man, I got to do it from your crib. He's like, that's cool. Do it in the spare bedroom. We're doing it in the spare bedroom. I'm sitting in the bed right now. So yours truly is very comfy, but I'm also very excited, very pumped up, guys, because again, we got a lot to get into. First things first, guys, I want to take a second to say thank you all so much for tuning in. The love and support, man. The love is just unreal, man. Every time I'm at Founders Park or out and about, tons of great Gamecocks saying what's up, shouting out, um, interacting, all that good stuff, engaging guys. And again, it's that love and support you guys show that really separate TSUS from. Everybody else that really put us on top and, and make things happen and make things a possibility from partnerships to merchandise to everything that happens within the business. And again, I never want to and never will get to a point where I do not show the proper gratitude and the love and the respect that you guys deserve for making this thing go. Again, without you guys, this thing would not be possible. So again, thank you so much for the love and support. Thank you for tuning in wherever this finds you, whether you're on the commute, you're in class, you're uh, hey, maybe you're done with class, you're done with exams, maybe you're just chilling at home, you're, you're, you're off, whatever it may be, whatever you are doing, I hope this show finds you well. And again, I sincerely and genuinely appreciate you tuning into the show. Again, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. We're almost to Friday. With that being said, guys, let's go ahead and dive into it because, again, we're talking counter baseball mainly and a lot of baseball to get to. First things first, the Gamecocks, Whew, they made a sweat. Not going to lie to you. <laughs> I'm recording this just a couple of hours after South Carolina's win over North Florida 7-6. And boy, oh boy, did they make a sweat in the midweek game. You know, it's funny. Again, I'm at my, I'm my best friend's place who I'm going to play golf with today. But I'm at his place. And this was his first South Carolina baseball game of the season. Again, he's a guy that went to pharmacy school at Carolina. He's a Gamecock fan, whatever. And I was like, hey, man, got two tickets. Let's go to the game. Whatever, we'll catch a game. It'll be a nice little casual midweek game, nothing crazy. We'll we'll cruise to an easy victory. And it looked that way early on, right, with the, you know, Braylon Wimmer, Homer, even after giving up two runs in the top of the first and Jack Mahoney going out, you know, Braylon Wimmer leads off with the bomb. Then Wes Clark puts you ahead. You have a two spot in the second. You're up five to two. After two innings, you're thinking to yourself, okay, we're going to cruise to a victory. North Florida had other plans. They take the lead in the fourth inning, six to five. And the Gamecocks, in dramatic fashion, on a George Khalil single, score two runs in the bottom of the seventh to get the seven six lead, a lead they would never relish. They would hold on to and get the one run win. So, again, I told him, I was like, hey, man, I was not planning for this game to have this type of dramatics, to have this type of flair. But hey, it's the Gamecocks, right? They never disappoint. I, I will say this about it because I don't want to spend a ton of time beating a dead horse per se. Cause I know a lot of you guys are like, Chris, it doesn't matter. It's the midweek. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing in the midweek for a lot of fans. It's almost like a lose, lose for the ball club. Because if you don't blow out a team, if you just win like South Carolina did by a single run, a lot of fans are going to sit there and say, Oh my God, you know, North Florida was, 
you know, a, a sub 500 team and they stink and like, we're terrible. We can't even beat them by any more than what we beat them by and all that. Dude, here's the thing in baseball, there aren't style points, right? Like it doesn't matter if you beat a team by 10 runs, 15 runs, 20 runs, or just one run. A dub is a dub. A dub is a dub is a dub is a dub is a dub. And for a Gamecocks ball club that coming off of a weekend sweep in Oxford, you know, a, a lot of negativity, a, a lot of pessimism, a lot of things going against you with the projections from your own fan base, all of that stuff. To come out and get a W, that's all that matters. At the end of the day, you know what? It doesn't matter how it happened. It doesn't matter what happened. You got the win. Again, a lot of dramatics. First things first, I wonder about Jack Mahoney because we've seen Jack Mahoney go five, six, seven innings for the Gamecocks in the midweek, and he comes out in the first inning. And what's more concerning to me is when I saw Jack Mahoney leave the game, I saw him flexing his arm, right? Flexing his arm back and forth, forearm. And so I hope it's nothing serious. I wonder, you know, I have not listened. I'll be honest with you. I did not listen yet to Mark Kingston's post game after North Florida. I wonder if there's something going on there. Again, you hope not because Jack Mahoney has been so good for the Gamecocks this year as a true freshman. But I will say this. Again, you take a look at the box score. Take a look at the line. The Gamecocks, seven runs, nine hits, two errors. North Florida, six runs, eight hits, and one error. Again, like I said early in the game, you had the big flies from Braylon Wimmer, Wes Clark, who, by the way, Wes Clark with a three-for-three night with two RBIs. And I will say this. I think one of the hits was probably BS. I think it should have been an error. But either way. Wes Clark goes three for three, two RBIs. Braylon Wimmer at the top of your lineup goes two for four with one RBI. Colin Burgess, one for five with two RBI. And then, of course, George Cleo, like I said, one for three with two RBI and a big two RBI to give you the lead. You know, on the mound, I will say this, tip your cab, I think, to the Gamecocks pitchers because after Jack Mahoney, it really turned into a Johnny Holstaff type of night. And I thought, you know, listen, John Gilry, two and a third, two hits, three runs, three runs. The two walks are what really got him in the outing. But especially your last three guys, Danny Lloyd, Mag Cotto, and Julian Bosnick. Danny Lloyd, three innings pitch, three hits, just one run, one earned, four strikeouts. I thought his stuff was as good as ever. Mag Cotto, who has not pitched in forever, by the way, hadn't pitched in forever, gets his first collegiate win. So shout out to Mag. His first collegiate win comes against the North Florida Ospreys in a 7-6 to six win. Again, he went two innings, zero hits, zero runs, zero earned, and two strikeouts. And I thought... He was really important as that bridge guy. And then Julian Bosnick gets his second save on the season. A perfect inning for him. And an inning, I will say, by the way, shout-out was assisted by an incredible, incredible catch in right field by Andrew Eister. But again, the bottom line is this. Because like I said, fans, we could have scored 20 runs yesterday and nobody would have cared, right? Because it all comes down to, okay, now what are you going to do in the weekend? Okay, so you hit that midweek pitching. So what? What are you going to do in the weekend? So, you know, some people are just going to be miserable to be miserable. On the other hand, you know, I thought it was a really gutsy win. This is a North Florida team that, like I told you guys coming in, they were not great on the mound, but a team that hit, is hitting damn near 280 this year, you knew they were going to swing it, and a team that has beaten Georgia, beaten Florida in a game one. Like, they have some talent. That, that Florida baseball, baseball in the state of Florida, guys, is really, really, really high quality. So it didn't surprise me at all. You know, I, I thought the Gamecocks, you know, I predicted they were going to roll, but it didn't necessarily surprise me or shock me that North Florida challenged them. 
So again, bottom line, great win. You took care of business. You did your job and you got the W in the midweek. And guys, again, at the end of the day in your resume, when the season's over and the dust settles, that's all that matters. Let's take a look, guys, at TSUS midweek MVP. And a couple candidates for this one, but the guy that I, I just feel like deserves the praise, deserves the accolades, and a guy that we have not talked about a ton this year. You know, people were really, really critical on this kid early in the season. Wanted him pulled from the lineup. Oh, he, you know, he's terrible. He can't hit. Get him out of the lineup. Whatever. Wanted him pulled from the lineup. I think we need to be showing that same level of energy in showing our love and appreciation for this kid. Because this kid at one point was hitting like 190. And now he's hitting 220. And 220 is nothing to brag about by any means. But it's much, much better than where he was. And that man is George Khalil. And George Khalil coming up with a clutch hit for you late in that game. Again, the RBI single that drove in the tying and go-ahead run. Again, George goes one for three, two RBI walk. But again, the two RBI and the one knock was the biggest swing of the ball game. So again, like I said, I, I think George Khalil deserves the love, was getting a lot of hate early in the season. Fans saying, oh, pull him. He can't hit. He sucks. He's this. He's that. Keep that same energy and showing your love for George. Because, again, he has come around really, really nicely, especially in this second half of the season, and has actually become a pretty nice and dependable piece down there in the nine hole. So, again, my TSUS midweek MVP, congratulations, our Aussie, Mr. George Khalil. What's next for South Carolina? We're about to talk about it, the Mississippi State Series. And let's go ahead, guys, dive into that, break that down, because, again, this is a huge weekend. For Gamecocks baseball. And I don't want to sound like a broken record because I'm probably going to say that the next three weekends. We all know what's on the line and what the stakes are, right? You're 11 and 10 in SEC play. You got three SEC series left. If you want to host, realistically, if you want to host a regional, if you're going to host a regional, you've got to find a way to, at minimum, at absolute minimum, Go five and four over your next three series. Realistically, you probably need to go six and three, but maybe five and four and a couple of wins in Hoover will get you in there. But it all starts this weekend against a really, really good Mississippi State team, the fourth-ranked Mississippi State Bulldogs. And again, that series this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday at 7 o'clock, Saturday at 4, Sunday at 2, the Friday and Saturday games on SEC Network, plus the Sunday game on the big channel, the SEC Network And again, guys, just to update you guys, I will not be in attendance Friday tomorrow because I am actually going home. My brother is deploying out uh, next Tuesday in the Army, and we're having like a family cookout and gathering and everything, getting everybody together and kind of celebrating him and obviously his decision and all that stuff. So obviously got to take care of that family first. I will not be the game Friday, but I will be there Saturday and Sunday just to let you guys know. But of course, I'll be watching. I'll be covering the game, all that good stuff on Friday. But again, of course, Mississippi State of the SEC West, their head coach, Chris Lamanis. 2021 has been a good year for him, man. They're 32-10 overall, 14-7 and in the SEC. Um, and obviously, again, top five team in the country. Let's move to their pitching, their hitting breakdown, the Bulldogs guys, and we'll start on the mound because that's really been the strength of this Bulldogs team, a 3.62 team ERA. They have the most strikeouts in the SEC. And they also feature, before we get into their starting rotation, they feature, you know, you thought that kid from Arkansas was good, the uh, cops kid that came in and just made us look foolish. 
They might have somebody that's even better. They feature one of the best relievers in all of college baseball in Landon Sims. Get these numbers, guys. 13 appearances, okay? 13 appearances, 30 innings pitched on the dot, 30 innings, 13 hits, two runs, two earned. He has just nine walks to 60 strikeouts. He is 3-0 with a .6 ERA. Simply put, if you're the Gamecocks, you better not let this game get to the eighth or the ninth where he comes in, because if you do, it's probably going to be game over. Landon Sims is that good. He's been unhittable all season long. Again, a 3.62 team ERA, Landon Sims, an absolute stud. Let's take a look, though, at the starting rotation for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. They will first feature a southpaw on Friday, left in a pitcher Christian McLeod, 3-3 three three with a 3.49 ERA. Saturday, they'll go with Ryan and pitcher Will Bednar, 4-1 with a 3-1-4 ERA. And Sunday, the Ryan and pitcher Jackson Fristo, 3-3 three three with a 4.97 ERA. So you can see, guys, they got studs. I mean, Mississippi State has got studs all over the field, especially in their pitching staff. I mean, it's, it's elite arm after elite arm after power arm after power arm. You're going to have your work cut out for yet again. It's just going to be another typical SEC week, and it's going to be more of the same what you saw last weekend against Ole Miss and probably even better because, again, the strength of the Mississippi State Ball Club is their pitching staff. When you talk about the batter's box for Mississippi State, 279 team average, and, again, I don't want to make this sound like they can't swing it because 279, I mean, they swing it very well. They swing it very well. But if you had to pick what's the strength that's pitching, but their hitting is, is still very, very good. A 279 team average, 48 home runs, not quite as much power as we've seen the last couple of weekends. So, like, they're not going to be this team that's going to, I think, hit like, you know, a crazy amount of home runs this weekend or anything. 48 home runs on the year, a 382 on base percentage. Get this number, though, guys. They are extremely athletic, extremely athletic. 53 for 66 in stolen bases. They run a lot and they are successful a lot. So Colin Burgess going to have his work cut out for him. Players to watch for for the Bulldogs, guys. We'll start with outfielder Tanner Allen, hitting 363 on the year for the Bulldogs, leading their team in that category, seven homers, 40 RBIs. Infielder Cameron James, another one, 288 average. Get this, guys, the speedster, too. 288 average, eight homers, 40 RBIs. He is also 14 for 15 in stolen bases. The guy can do it all. And then catcher Logan Tanner, hitting 267 on the season, eight home runs, 34 RBI. So, like I said, guys, they have got dudes that can swing it. This is Mississippi State. They're not a top-five team by accident. They've got dudes all over the freaking place. Let's move to the South kind of side of things, guys, because I think there's a lot of interesting storylines with this one and things that I'm looking forward to uh, this weekend against Mississippi State. We'll first start with the rotation. Again, this is coming out on Thursday. So, Mark Kingston's going to speak to the media today. And so, there could be updates and things – that are different than what I am telling you right now. So, again, if things are different, I do apologize. Because right now, the weekend rotation is as such. Of course, Friday, Ryan and pitcher Thomas Farr. Saturday, Ryan and pitcher Brandon Jordan. And then Sunday, Ryan and pitcher Will Sanders. What we've seen Sal going to do all season long, basically. But as I move into what to watch for, you guys might find this intriguing. And this is something I have not shared on social media. I haven't really even told anybody. Because the first thing I'm going to watch for and something that I'm sure Mark Kingston, I know Mark Kingston for a fact, probably going to be the first question he's asked in regards to, hey, what's your weekend rotation? Do we see a shakeup in the rotation this weekend against Mississippi State? Because I will tell you guys this. 
from the people that I've talked to, my people that are close to Gamecocks baseball, from people that I trust, things that I am hearing, it's not a certainty, but there has been talk of possibly moving guys around in the weekend rotation, most notably the Friday spot. Yes, I'm talking about Thomas Farr. And there's some of you out there that are going to be overjoyed and ecstatic and, oh, my God, finally Thomas Farr is getting bummed. You know, I think what this tells you, if that does happen, is that this is a staff and, of course, a ball club, but a coaching staff that is just desperate to win a game one, desperate to try anything to make it happen. Because I think we all agree. You know, has Thomas Farr been perfect? No. But the hitting hasn't been there either. It's not like we've swung it well enough to help out any of our pitchers on a Friday. But from what I have heard, I had someone text me that, again, I trust and is very, very close to Gamecocks baseball and said that do not be surprised to see Friday, Ryan, a pitcher, Brandon Jordan, Saturday, Will Sanders, Sunday, Thomas Farr. So, again, Take it for what it's worth. I know Mark Kingston will address that probably today, definitely today. And we will get official word on that. And that could just be hearsay. From what he said, what my guy said, it's being discussed. And this was two days ago. Said it's being discussed. So, if nothing else, the coaching staff is considering it. Now, my take on it, my opinion If they want to roll with that, at this point in the season with three series left, I'm 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 in I'm 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 kind of torn on it because I totally understand just trying to change up the mojo, trying to change up the overall vibe in game one. Because insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and expecting different results. I totally get that. But at the same time, guys, like I said, you are taking a major risk in a couple of different, uh, a couple of different ways. <clears throat> the first being this. You are banking on that Brandon Jordan or Will Sanders, whoever you go with, but probably Brandon Jordan. You're banking on Brandon Jordan is going to flourish in that game one role. You have no idea. It's a different Animal pitching on Friday night. You're banking he's going to flourish there. Hey, you're banking that Will Sanders is going to flourish on the Saturday. And then most of all is a guy like Thomas Farr. I think you, I don't think he's like a mentally fragile guy by any means. But how does a guy like Thomas Farr handle it? And again, I would have hated the move much more earlier in the season, but I do understand with three SEC series left, Can you just keep trotting the same starting nine out there that you've sent out there Friday after Friday after Friday after game one after game one after game one? Can you trot the same starting nine and just continue to lose game one? You almost feel like at this point you have to try something else. So, again, that's probably the biggest thing I'll be watching for, guys, and keep an eye out today to what Mark Kingston says Because from the people I've talked to, that is something that could be happening this weekend. And from there, how will that affect this weekend series against the Bulldogs? Only time will tell. Something else I'm watching for, guys, and I don't know how much we're going to find out this weekend, but just the status of Jack Mahoney. You know, he hasn't pitched 
on the weekends. But he only pitched, what, two-thirds of an inning in, uh, in yesterday's game against North Florida. Number one, you hope he's healthy. You hope he's okay. And number two, if he is healthy and okay and it's nothing serious, do we see him pitch this weekend? Again, he should be available, right? So what's the overall status of Jack Mahoney? Something else I'm watching for, and again, just, just to say hitting is obvious. But something I saw on Wednesday, and yes, it's just the midweek. I, I'm, I'm not drawing conclusions from the midweek or, or taking anything major from the midweek necessarily. But we did not just see hitting against North Florida. What we saw was timely hitting. And I think this is going to be a great series, by the way, guys. I, I think this is going to be a back-and-forth series. I don't buy into the notion of some fans, oh, my God, we're going to get blown out. It's not even going to be close. I think, and I'll give my full prediction tomorrow, but I think this is going to be a team, you know, coming back home to Founders Park. The Rowdy Roosters will be out and about. I think the crowd will be great. The weather should be great for a weekend at Founders Park. I think this is a team that's going to come home. It, it knows what's on the line. It's going to come home in front of its home crowd and, you know, have a chip on its shoulder, have something to prove. Get back to winning ways in the SEC. So I, I think this team is going to play three really, really close ball games against one of the best teams in the entire country. Think the Arkansas series all over again, in my opinion. But it's not just about hitting. It's about timely hitting. And like I said, I know it's just the midweek. It's just North Florida. It doesn't mean anything. But maybe, baseball's a funny game. Maybe, just maybe, do we see that carry over into this weekend? Because you got the timely hitting yesterday. That George Khalil knock, very timely hitting. You easily, easily could have lost that game yesterday. Does that, you know, hitting's contagious, guys. Hitting's contagious. Do we see that start to spread in the rest of the lineup? The Eisters, the, the Allens, the Clarks, the Mendums, the Burgies, the Wimmers. Do we see that start to spread in those guys as well in timely hitting? Because that's what the great teams have. You know, the 2010 team that won the College World Series, were they a bunch of bashers? I mean, not necessarily, but God, it's like every time we needed a big knock, we got it every single time. And you're going to have to have timely hitting this weekend. I mean, again, I don't want to sound like a, a broken record, right? Every SEC series. And that's why I don't do keys to victory for baseball because they're basically the same every weekend. Hey, uh, on the mound, throw strikes, get ahead of hitters, don't walk guys. You know, great pitching and timely hitting. That's it. That's the key. Great pitching and timely hitting. And you'll win a lot of ball games doing that. But it's going to be tough to scratch out knocks against this Mississippi State pitching staff. No question. They got an elite staff. They got elite arms. It's going to put timely hitting in a premium. If you get a guy on second, if Mississippi State makes a mistake, walks you, makes an error, if you get a guy on, if you get a guy in scoring position with less than two outs, you've got to capitalize. Like, timely hitting is going to be at a premium this weekend. Two out hitting. Hitting with runners in scoring position. But again, when you boil it down to it, timely hitting. It will be at a premium. Can the Gamecocks do enough of it? Because that will be the difference at the plate. You're not going to go out there and get 10 hits a game. You're just not. Even if you were swinging it as well as you've swung it all season, you're just not going to. Timely hitting. You have to get those timely hits. Speaking of the lineup, something else I'm watching for, guys. 
we saw a shakeup in the lineup on Wednesday, yesterday's game against North Florida, with Braylon Wimmer jumping into the leadoff spot, Brady Allen sliding in a three-hole, which Brady Allen just continues to do Brady Allen things. Best ball player on our team is not even close. Um, but again, Wimmer in the leadoff, Allen in the three-hole. And then you saw a couple of other shakeups, Satterfield at third base. Does the lineup shakeup stick? How much does the lineup change? Is that a permanent move to put Wimmer in the leadoff? I actually like Brady in the three-hole. I like Brady and West back-to-back. I do. I like Brady-West back-to-back, to be totally honest with you. Hey, Noah Myers also played left. Is Josiah Seitler's groin good enough to go this weekend? But does the lineup shake up? Stick it. How much does the lineup shake up? I, I just – I know they're trying different things to try to produce offense. I will say, though, I do love Brady in the three-hole. I mean, you can put Brady anywhere and you're going to love it because this is just a hitter. He's a hitter, man. Got great plate vision, plate discipline, takes great at-bats. You know, he struck out. I want, I want to mention this, too. He struck out in this at-bat, but I thought he had one of his best at-bats of the year against North Florida, which I don't even know how many pitches it was. It had to be double digits. But he got to 3-2, battled, 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 battled and he finally caved up. But it's those type of ABs where your hitters are able to see a lot of pitches and work a count and work a pitcher. Those are the kind of ABs you want. So, again, Brady Allen, big Brady Allen fan, man. Love his game. Dude's a straight-up dirtbag. But does the lineup shake-up stick? Do we see Wimmer back in the leadoff spot? Do we see Brady in the three-hole? Do we see Satterfield back in the hot corner? Do we see more Noah Myers this weekend? It'll be interesting to see. Guys, something else I'm watching for, more off the field. Like I said, Founders Park, 7 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 2 o'clock. 50% capacity. The capacity's been expanded. We saw it against Arkansas. We'll see it this week in a huge series. And I expect the Rowdy Roosters to be out and about at Founders Park. How much of an impact do they make? And, hey, if you're listening to this, you're a Rowdy Rooster. Get out to Founders Park if you can. By the way, I sold all of my tickets, sold them all to Gamecock fans, and you love to see that. You love to see that. But the Rowdy Roosters, out and about, do they get kicked out of their sections? Put the students somewhere where they can make an impact. Like, stop with this foolishness. Stop with this madness of, of acting like our student, students are some pariah, like they're saying something that disrespectful and that mean to the opposing team. Let our students and let our fans create a home field atmosphere because you're going to need them this weekend. Hey, guess what? You go to the dude at Mississippi State, they're giving you hell. It's, it's, it's pandemonium. It's chaos. It's crazy. We've got to create that home field advantage this weekend. And the administration, the yellow coats, let our fans do their thing, man. Because if you do, it's going to make a difference in the ballgame. Let the Rowdy Roosters out of their cages. Bottom line, point blank. Lastly, guys, what I'm watching for. Again, like I mentioned earlier, man, it, it's, it really is starting to feel like, you know, you're getting to the last three series of the season. You're at 11 and 10 in the SEC. It's now or never for the Gamecocks, man. You know what you have to do. Six and three is the goal. Six and three, if I'm, if I'm Mark Kingston, you know, of course, they say, hey, we take it one day at a time. We're trying to go 1-0 each day. And, and, and 
that's great, man. That's coach speak. I totally understand that. But those guys know in that clubhouse, we all understand where we're at right now, right? And if I'm Mark Kingston, I'm telling my team, hey, guys, we're trying to win every game we play, but we got to go six and three. Six and three or better is the goal. We got to go six and three. And it starts this weekend. So what does that mean? Well, you got to sweep Kentucky. There's three wins for you right there. And then out of Mississippi State at home and Tennessee at home, one of those two, you got to take a series. You got to win two out of three. And the other one, you at minimum cannot get swept. And I think that's very fair, and I think that's very reasonable. You know, I know Mississippi State's the fourth-ranked team in the country. I know Tennessee's the fifth-ranked team in the country. They're both really, really good ball clubs, but you get both of them at Founders Park. And if you're a legitimate ball club and you're going to be a real, legit contender, we see upsets happen all the time, guys. And in baseball, is it really considered a quote-unquote upset? Is it that big of an upset? It's baseball, man. Georgia beat Vandy on the road. Like, parody's a thing. That's why college baseball is the greatest. That's why baseball in general is the greatest sport on the planet. Because it's the last sport where I would say parody really exists. But it's now or never for this Gamecocks team, and it really is. I mean, you know... <sighs> It's, it's a tough spot to be in when, you know, you need to go win two out of three and you're taking on a top five team. But that's the spot you've put yourself in. If you're going to host, if you're going to be a regional host and have the type of season you want to have and give yourself an opportunity in the postseason, this is the type of series you've got to step up and take. So it's now or never for the Gamecocks. How do they respond to that? Let's move to key player for this weekend, guys. And I mentioned him earlier. I mentioned him earlier. And he, you know, in a weekend like this, coming off of a really, obviously, the, the, the series sweep in Oxford, really rough weekend, returning home. In a series like this, you're going to look towards your leaders. You're going to look towards your, your captain, your emotional leader, on-field leader. Verbal leader, leads by example, all of the above. You're going to look for your alpha to lead the charge and have a big-time weekend. And in a weekend like this, to be the top five team, your best player needs to have his best weekend. And your best player is Brady Allen, and he's my key player for this weekend, no question. Your best player's got to have his best weekend. He is the catalyst of this ball club, in my opinion. When he goes, we go. And I've said that all year long, but it's true. When he goes, we go. He truly, in my opinion, sets the tone for everything we do. And I know that's putting a lot of pressure on one guy. There's a lot of other guys on this team that have a similar effect. But when Brady Allen is, even when he's not, you know, because in that North Florida game, I mean, did he even get a knock? He went over four. With a walk and two strikeouts. So it's not like he went off yesterday or anything. <clears throat> Didn't have his best game. But he is the catalyst of our ball club. And I, and I just think to, to beat a Mississippi State, you know, wherever he is in the lineup doesn't matter. You're going to need him to have a good weekend. You're going to need him to lead you, whether he's at the top of your lineup, he's in the three-hole, he's in the five-hole, wherever they decide to put him. You know, this lineup has been searching for answers for so long, it feels like. I mean, just searching for anything. I see Brady Allen 
the soul reaper, the reaper of souls. I see Brady Allen being that guy to shake up this clubhouse, to get these guys going, to get their asses in gear. I see him being that dude. And I think he can be, and I think he will be. He's been that for you all year. He's been that for you all year long. He's been that, you know, when we go into midweek games like yesterday and we go into series like this, I trust that the mental side of things will be there. We'll be good. I don't think we have any concerns or any worries when it comes to that. You know why? Because it's guys like Brady Allen who have great leadership and are great leaders. And they're going to attack this thing the right way. And again, Brady Allen is certainly that dude. So again, like I said, guys, my key player for this weekend and a guy that I think needs to have a big weekend for South Carolina to take down Mississippi State, none other than outfielder Brady Allen. So again, guys, that's going to do it for my Mississippi State preview. The Gamecocks taking on the fourth-ranked Bulldogs this weekend at Founders Park in a three-game set, guys. Again, Friday at 7, Saturday at 4, and Sunday at 2. The Sunday game can be seen on SEC Network on the big channel, Friday and Saturday on SEC Network Plus, and it should be a lot of fun, guys. Like I told you early in the show, I will give you my full prediction on tomorrow's show. So if you want to know what I think, how the Gamecocks are going to fare this weekend, stay tuned for that tomorrow's show. I will have my full prediction, but that's going to wrap up the Mississippi State Series All right, guys, let's move to news and notes real quick. Let's start with some positive news on the Gamecocks basketball side of things. Man, when is the last time we had positive news when it comes to Carolina basketball? I I don't even know. But get this, Frank Martin, in a tweet from Sports Talk SC, it says, Frank Martin tells us tonight, Kusnard and Bryant, a.k.a. Jermaine Kusnard and Keyshawn Bryant, are telling him, telling Frank Martin, they plan to return to school. On June 1st. So what a boost for Gamecocks basketball that would be. Jermaine Kusnard and Keyshawn Bryant returning. And all of a sudden, you look around. And hey, I'm not going to let myself get too high of preseason expectations. I am not doing it. I'm not falling for that trap again. But hey, all of a sudden, a South Carolina basketball roster that we felt like was Crazy depleted, and you're like, oh, we were, you know, we were making jokes of, oh my God, are you gonna have enough people to play? All of a sudden, you say to yourself, hmm, okay, maybe we'll have something here. Just maybe. And again, that is the eternal optimist, hopeful gamecock and fan in me, even saying that. But interesting stuff. Kusnard and Bryant sounds like they will be returning for the Gamecocks this season. A huge boost. For Frank Martin's club. Um, lastly, guys, Gamecocks men's golf. Shout out to them. A number nine seed in the Albuquerque Regional. South Carolina men's golf beginning postseason play. Um, I'd have to look up the dates, to be honest with you, but very soon. But a nine seed in the Albuquerque Regional. So, Really, really good stuff, guys. Really stuff, uh, good stuff for the for the course cocks. As somebody commented, I was like, man, I really love that. The course cocks. So really good stuff. All right, let's get into your listener questions and we'll dive in our interview, guys. And our interview is a really, really good one. So I can't wait for you guys to hear that. Um, let me see. I gotta find the questions really quick. Where are they? Where are the listener questions? Let's see. 
you guys are just this is great podcast content right now i just search and search and search and search and search and search well my goodness where in the world are the listener questions i know i posted it here we go okay we got our listener questions actually no we don't we had none you guys left none nobody wanted questions nobody had any questions nobody had any questions miss b state that's unreal. How about that? Guys, come on. Come on. Help me out. When I put the question box up, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Leave me some questions. You hurt my feelings now. <sighs> Y'all hurt my feelings. No, I'm just kidding. I feel better. You know why? Because we've got, let's move into our interview. we got a great interview, guys. Rick Henry of WISTV. And again, if you know anything about South Carolina media, and the media in Columbia, and you, you've definitely seen this guy, you've heard this guy, but when I dove into his bio and all of the accolades, all the awards, all the barriers that he broke, and everything he's done in his career, and guys, this is a guy that beat cancer. Enough said. I mean, I'd want to interview this person no matter if they were a media person or Gamecocks person. This dude beat cancer. I mean, how many people can say that? And getting to speak with him, honestly, guys, you know, me doing what I do, I know I'm not a traditional media guy. Certainly I'm not. You know, and I'm, a, I'm in a totally different lane and totally a different space than the traditional media, if you will. But I think it is really, really important. I talk about this with Rick in the interview. I think it's really important to show respect and to have mutual respect for the guys that do a great job like Rick Henry in the media, in TV, in journalism, in print, whatever it may be. Because these were the, these are the trendsetters. You know, Rick Henry was around before the internet. I mean, that's, that's funny as that sounds. The internet, smartphones, social media, hearing his story, how he's gotten to where he's gotten, what he's done in his career. And again, guys, like I said, beating cancer? I mean, that's worth listening to this interview alone. So again, I call him the OG of sports media, the OG of media in South Carolina. And a great conversation. Can't wait for you guys to hear it again, guys. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I truly do appreciate it. Appreciate the love and support you guys show. Thank you so much for sharing the content, consuming the content. It means the absolute world. Guys, have a great rest of your Thursday. Appreciate y'all tuning in. Now, enjoy this interview with Rick Henry of WIS-TV. All right, joining us on the Spurs Up show, guys, very excited. He's a USC graduate, 1997 class, joined WIS-TV in 1988, named the sports director there in 1996. Get this, guys. He was also the first African-American sports director in the state of South Carolina. In 1999, he was named Sportscaster of the Year by the SC Broadcasters Association. In 2005, his sportscast was named the best in South Carolina by the Associated Press. Also, most notably, this dude beat cancer, certified badass. He's a cancer survivor. And again, when you talk media in the state of South Carolina, and this dude, you go look at his bio on, on uh, WISTV's website. There are things that I'm leaving out because honestly, sir, you have so many accolades. I don't think I, I can mention them all. We could spend the entire show just talking about all those. But again, when you think of media in the state of South Carolina, this dude's name pops up. He is the OG of South Carolina media. I'm very pleased to be joined by Rick Henry of WIS-TV. Rick, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. And again, thank you so much for doing this. Man, I may have to hire you as my hype man. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, again, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm very humble, but I'm 
I'm truly blessed. And did you say I was a 1997 graduate of 1977? But hey, we yeah, can go yeah, with 97. No. We'll go with 97. That's fine. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, 1977. Don't cheat me out of any years. So. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Well, I, I want to go back to that, Rick. I want to jump in the time capsule and go back. Actually, too, I want to mention this. You're a 1973 graduate of McBee High School, which I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I'm from the state of South Carolina. I was like, where is McBee High School? But it's up by Hartsville, for those that are wondering, up in the upstate, kind of in the upstate, if you will, kind of the, that part of the state, whatever. But up by Hartsville, McBee High School, you were the school's first African-American valedictorian. So kind of a cool thing, and I'm sure not a lot of people knew about you. But again, you graduated from USC in 1977 with a Bachelor of Arts in Broadcast Journalism. You were also named Outstanding Senior at USC, just talk about, though, again, you go to the University of South Carolina, you start your media career. Was it always a thing for you where you're like, I'm going to go to South Carolina? Did you grow up a Gamecock? I and mean, obviously now you're in the media world and you take the biases out of it and all that good stuff, but you are a Gamecock. So, you know, what was that decision like for you, I guess? What, what made the decision to go to USC? You know, what made that for you? And why would you choose to go there and, and pursue media and start your journey there? Well, first of all, uh, I became a Gamecock fan because of Frank McGuire and uh, basketball way back in the day. Really enjoyed watching his teams and uh, uh, just loved watching Coach McGuire. And by the time I got in the TV, he retired. He had retired. He retired in 1980. I got in the TV in 1981. But I was able to um, get to know him, especially after I uh, started working at WIS. And we had a great relationship. But I, I grew up loving sports, uh, loved to play sports, loved to watch sports, uh, loved to read about sports. And I also discovered I had a knack for writing. And I said, hey, why not go to school and, uh, you know, become a sports reporter, become a sportscaster? That was a dream I had. <clears throat> South Carolina had a good journalism school. I said, OK, I'm going to go to USC and see what happens. I want to ask you this, Rick, because, again, you know, I, I talked about you were the um, first African-American sports director in South Carolina. And again, you went to, you know, the University of South Carolina in the mid-70s. And I I'm sure for you getting in media, you overcame a lot of obstacles and you broke a lot of barriers. What was that like? I, I mean, as an African-American man at that point, at that time, and again, like I said, you've done that throughout your entire career, which again, I think is really, really inspiring. I mean, you haven't let anything stop you on this journey and, you know, having a great career to this point and beyond. But what was that like? Because I think it's interesting. You know, I talked to uh, I had Alex English on the show as well. And I feel like, you, you know, you guys, it's very similar in regards to breaking the barriers, like, you know, overcoming that, you know, kind of, you know, leading the path, if you are, or leading the way, if you will. like, what was that like as far as overcoming barriers and just kind of having, having to kind of make your way in, into the, the media world, if you will? Well, one of the things you have to do is you have to shove aside the people who think you can't do it or you don't deserve to do it. I had a guidance counselor at McBee High School. Uh, as you said, I was the valedictorian. Mm. And she was trying to discourage me from attending the University of South Carolina. She said, you're from a small school. You know, maybe that'll be too much for you. And uh, <laughs> I went on and uh, graduated as an outstanding senior. And that's a real big accomplishment because when you think of the number of students, the number of seniors at the University of South Carolina, that, that group of outstanding seniors is a very small one. And, and then just getting into broadcasting, I, I just had to get an opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe WIS turned me down twice. And even though, uh, like the uh, second time, 
they really pursued me and really wanted me to work there, I thought. And they wound up hiring a guy who was, wasn't nearly uh, as good as I am. Mm -hmm. um, but I had a general manager at WPDE in Florence, Jerry Convra. I got to give him all the credit. He hired me, even though I had no experience in TV, hired me as, as the sports director. Mm. And I told him, uh, you won't be sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, you started there, WPDE-TV in Florence, South Carolina, 1981. Again, hired as sports director. And again, like we said, breaking barriers. You were the first African-American to serve as sports director for a South Carolina television station. I I'm curious to know, did you always want to go into TV? Were you interested in radio? Were you interested in anything else? Or were you always like, I want to be a TV guy? No, no. Uh, growing up, I, I don't know, probably if you would have asked me, I probably would have told you I wanted to be a, a professional athlete, maybe a <laughs> baseball player, right. a football player. Uh, but then those hopes were quickly dashed. <laughs> right. And I figured, hey, I need to do something where I can make a living. And again, I guess it was just my love of sports, my um, love for writing. Like I discovered I had that love for writing. Um, here's an interesting stat for you. How many people do you know that have taken the same subject twice mm. and made an A the both times? <laughs> I tell people, hey, I've got to be tied for the world record. Right. But um, after eighth grade, I'm looking forward to a nice, relaxing, fun summer like all kids. Mm. And my mother, who was a teacher, knew my eighth grade teacher had not properly prepared us mm. uh, for high school. And this was going to be the first year that I was going to go to an integrated school uh, mm. my freshman year at Mike Behind. So she said, you're going to summer school. And I'm like, what? Because I made an A. Well, I made another A. And that's during the time when I discovered that I really had a knack for writing mm. and never had a problem with uh, English after that. Not that I had a problem before, but she knew I just wasn't as uh, prepared as I should have been. Mm. Do you, do you prefer writing over the TV side? I mean, like, do you, do, you, do you prefer one or the other, or do you just love them both individually, like it's two different, two No, well, things? you know, a lot of people ask me, like, hey, do you write uh, your stuff? And I said, yeah, I write the majority of it. Mm. I love writing. I, uh, it's an important part of what I do. Mm. So that's, uh, that's part of the whole puzzle. Mm. I love the I, writing. I, I was going to say, obviously now, you know, not, not to cut you off, but obviously now it's like things have shifted so much to video and audio. And there's a lot of, you know, I almost feel like written word is kind of a lost art now. Like people don't really, like there aren't stories, I feel like, put together by journalists like you used to have. You know what I mean? It's a lot more quick hitter. You know, some people would say hot takes, if you will. That There's, there's kind of like, the, it's, a, it's almost a lost art to be an investigative journalist and like write a really, really in-depth story anymore. Yeah, you're very observant. A lot of that, especially in local TV news, is that we don't have as many people as we once had. Mm. Uh, the staffs are smaller, and we have more shows. When I first came to WIS in 1988, we had two evening shows, the 7 o'clock show and the 11 o'clock show. We had mm. three full-time people in sports. Now, we, have, uh, we do news from 4 to 6.30. And we have a seven o'clock show, we do a 10 o'clock show, and we have an 11 o'clock show. And when you look at it from the news side, uh, a lot of their day is spent going out, covering the story. Right. Then they have to be set up for live shots. And you don't have a lot of time to put into those stories and produce those stories. And uh, it, it's that way, too, in sports, because we've gone from three full-time people to two full-time people. 
And when you have to give someone two days off during the week mm. and you have to pick and choose your spots, like, okay, wait a minute. We all have to be working on Fridays during football season and Saturdays. So you're kind of limited, but I enjoy um, putting together those long form stories and really doing nice features on people, which I don't get to do enough. And also the time that I get for sports, we used to get four and a half minutes, five minutes when I first started. Mm-hmm. Now I'm down to like two and a half, three minutes. Most of my shows, except on um, like Saturday and Sunday. And so you have to keep, I tell my folks, got to be concise with your writing and you got to make sure that everyone understands what you're talking about. Mm. It's like people standing on a platform waiting for a train and the train just whizzes by. Everyone is looking, what happened? Make sure everyone is on the train. I like that. I like that analogy for sure. It's it is crazy though. Like again, just observing, it's people don't really want to read anymore. Like I said, they want those fifteen seconds. You're right. They get bored. The the attention span is not there. Right. It's it's not quite. And I mean, I you know, I I say that to myself too. I mean, people just don't want to sit down and and read a story like that. But again, there's still a lot of value, and I truly believe that. And I think you're seeing that on other platforms as well. Now you joined. WIS in 1988 as an anchor and reporter. You became the sports director in 1996. So, again, obviously, you get that promotion. You're continuing to break barriers. You're continuing to do great work. You know, you're an award winning journalist. You know, like I said in the beginning, named 99 Sportscaster of the Year by the South Carolina Broadcasters Association in 05. Your sportscast was selected as the best in the state by the AP. So, again, you had a lot of success. Just, I guess, kind of talk about if you can summarize your, your journey at WIS, again, just starting there as an anchor and reporter and then getting that promotion, like I said, to sports director, which I'm sure was a big deal for, for your career and even where you are now. What, what's, what's the journey been like, I guess? What have, you, what have you most learned along the way while you've been uh, doing your thing at WIS? What have I most learned along the way? Well, you know, on July 6th of the year, it will be my 40th anniversary in television news. Wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Because awesome. I started at WPDE in 1981. And I'll have to say it's been a wonderful journey mm. because the stories that I've gotten to cover, uh, you know, the events uh, I've gotten to travel to and um, see some of the world's most uh, important sporting events. Uh, one thing that I learned, and I learned this very early on, is there's a reason it's called broadcasting. You want to reach the largest number of people possible. And you can't go in with this attitude, oh, I'm just going to be excited about the sports that I love. Mm. You know, because you're going to leave a lot of people out. Mm. Um, giving a good example, NASCAR. My first NASCAR race was the Southern 500 in 1981. You know, as a black guy growing up in South Carolina, <laughs> you've never gone to a NASCAR race. Right. I'd seen some, uh, watched some races on TV. I knew all the big name drivers. Mm. And so my first experience covering NASCAR, man, it was hot. It was gritty. Mm. And um, yeah, it wasn't a, a pleasant experience. But I knew that if I was going to survive in Florence, I had to cover NASCAR. Mm. And I, one thing I had to overcome Uh, There was one day I discovered that there were some drivers at the track testing and the other station in Florence, they were there, they had the coverage and I'd heard nothing about it. So I called up the um, track PR director and I said, Hey, next time, could you call me up? Cause you know, back then there's no Twitter. 
Right, of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> no texting. Right. And so it happened again. And I'm like, okay, okay. I know I'm, I'm the new guy. I'm the black guy. Uh, but I got to find a way. And I had two um, white guys. Uh, one of them eventually came to work for us at WPDE. They started calling me up because in the town of Darlington, if one car fires up on that track, it just reverberates oh, yeah. all throughout the town. And they'd say, hey, Rick, there, uh, there's something going on at the track. So mm-hmm. I'd load my gear up in my car, travel over to the track, and I'll never get the, forget the look of surprise on the uh, PR director's face when I pulled up. Like, how do you find out about this? So then he started calling me and letting me yeah. know. And um, then um, one day, uh, someone who actually works for NASCAR, they were in town and uh, he said, hey, I watched your show last night and I was impressed with your NASCAR coverage. Mm. And I went, okay, I must be doing something right. And how about this? After I got to WIS and the uh, struggles I had covering NASCAR, Darlington Raceway invited me to be the Grand Marshal of the Southern 500 Parade. Wow. So uh, I've learned to be resourceful mm-hmm. and uh, find a way to get things done, even though uh, you're facing big challenges. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, even before social media, because I think it's so important, you know, in today's day and age, that if you're going to pursue media or, you know, be a personality, you have to stand out and, and kind of create your own, your own personal brand. Like I think personal branding is so big right now. And I'm sure you'd agree with that. When you started in TV and you started in media, did you feel like, were there certain things you were thinking to yourself, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this to stand out and, you know, establish the personal brand of Rick Henry and people are going to know me for this. And, you know, cause some TV guys will have slogans heck nowadays I mean, we're seeing i think it was that guy in charlotte that literally went famous on tiktok for dancing or whatever i mean like there's all kinds of stuff that people are doing for their personal brands and to stand out for you was it just as simple as hey i'm just going to be myself and my work is going to stand out on its own merit or i guess how did you go about sort of carving out that niche if you will that was like hey this is rick henry this is why i'm unique this is what makes especially on the TV side of things, this is what makes me unique. And, you know, I guess why you should tune into me, why you should care about what I have to say. Well, one thing um, I tell folks, just be yourself. Right. You can't go out there and say, hey, I'm going to be the next Chris Berman or I'm going to do things exactly the way this guy or this lady um, will do something because it's not going to work for you because it's not genuine. Mm. You can study people and go, Hey, I like the way they did that. How can I incorporate that into my delivery? And also, I just wanted to show people, um, you know, just have a good time with it. Um, Use some humor. Just work hard and um, cover the things that people people have an interest about. And also do it in a way with um, um, a special way of writing and just try to do everything in. A plus quality, mm. but uh, now, uh, the most important thing is just be you. Do yeah. you? Yeah, I agree. Be yourself, one hundred and ten percent. The interesting thing you mentioned uh, earlier, Rick, is that you know when you're talking about the story about NASCAR and Darlington, like you said, there was no Twitter, <laughs> there was no texting. It's crazy because I think you know you've obviously through your career in media, you've seen seismic shifts in the way media is distributed, the way it's consumed just the overall media landscape. I mean, you literally started, 
I mean, there was no internet. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to like date you or anything, but there was no internet, right? Like people weren't going on their, (laughs) people were not going on their computers to read an article. It was all newspaper. Then the internet happens. Then smartphones happen. Then social media happens. Like what is it? Because again, that's something that keeps you on your toes. And like you mentioned, you know, being well-rounded in regarding to, you know, covering every sport and just talking about things people care about. You can't be kind of in tunnel vision, right? You have to be able to touch on everything. Um, you got to have all those tools in your shed. I mean, you've had to make adjustments and adapt. you adapt or die. And I'm sure there's probably people that you knew or there's been sportscasters or people that, hey, they didn't like social media or they didn't like the internet and they didn't make the adjustment and you fade in the oblivion. I mean, I think we're seeing that now, right? So, and I know that just the media industry as a whole, like news, you know, the, the, the state newspaper or just anybody, They've had to make that adjustment in regards to how they distribute media. You know, I, I think I talked to somebody else that the state has become much more like it's they rely on their digital product much, much more now because people aren't necessarily buying a newspaper. They're going on their phone, they're looking on their smartphone, and that's how they're consuming content. So what's it been like for you? Again, I'm sure it's kept you on your toes. And obviously you've done a really, really good job of rolling with the punches and adjusting to it and embracing it, and making the most out of it. But again, you literally started when, like I said, I mean, there was no internet. There were no computers. People people weren't consuming content that way. And now here we sit here, we're literally talking via the computer on Zoom. And, you know, we're looking at content on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And that's kind of how people are consumed things now. How crazy has that been? And what has that been like? Like if you, if I'd have told you when you first started, hey, one day people are going to have a computer this big in their pocket and they're going to put, look at all your stuff on that. Like, I'm sure you wouldn't have believed it. I mean, it's just like crazy how much things have changed. Yeah, I think I would have called someone trying to get some help for you. Like, this dude has really <laughs> gone off the deep end. But you're right. I, when I think back to those days, and it's like we were working in the Stone Age. One of, the, one of the busiest days for me used to be the day that qualifying took place in NASCAR. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what track, the phone in the newsroom would be ringing off the hook with people wanting to know who's on the pole. I'd have to have people in the newsroom, you know, manning the phones, and I may be on a, a, another phone trying to call the press box or wherever they were racing, trying to get the results. And all you get is a busy signal. And, uh, you know, high school football, we had to rely on people calling in the score. And yeah. lots of times we go there, uh, we wouldn't have an updated score. And we said, hey, well, hopefully we'll get that before we go off the air. And now, well, you like NASCAR. I mean, you can, you got your phone, you got your computer. You can follow NASCAR alone, car by car uh, when they're they're qualifying. And then high school football. I love it for high school football because most schools um, have a Twitter account and you can get all your, all your scores right there on Twitter, Hmm. which is really amazing. And when I tell the young folks in the business about how we used to struggle back in the day, they just look at me like, wow, how did you survive? (laughs) But yeah, I've adapted really well because there are things about it that make the job easier. Now, what I don't like about social media is people who love to spread rumors and retweet stuff that is not factual, Mm -hmm. especially when there's a coaching search involved. Um, You know, because or or when when your or when your basketball coach is potentially on the chopping block. We'll just I'll just say that. So there, I know there was a lot of stuff (laughs) regarding Frank Martin. I'll just leave it at that. So. Oh, yeah. You know, you have to take your time and track it down, make some calls just to make sure. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's not happening. Um, So it can be a pain in the rear end uh, on those occasions. But no, it's a social media is a very helpful tool. And 
as a matter of fact, um, Twitter uh, suspended my uh, Twitter account a couple of weeks ago. Really? They I did not know that. Because of, because of um, that's, that's why I started a new Twitter account. They said because of unusual activity. They didn't tell me what the activity was. I'm thinking I, maybe I was hacked. And so anyway, like I sent them the wrong email address that I had for it. Mm. And they go, oh, there's no one. You know, we have no record of that Twitter account. So, you know, I remain locked out of it. And I said, okay, well, in the meantime, let me start this new account. So, um, yeah, I'd like to tell all, uh, all you folks out there that my new um, uh, Twitter handle is Rick Henry TV. So give me a follow. I lost all my followers and I'm trying to build back up. So we'll let's see let's, what happens. But yes, yeah, uh, that has been really frustrating. Let's get Rick back as followers. Of all people that probably deserve to be suspended, I think you'd probably be last on that list. So that, I feel like that's a little unfair. Um, yeah, yeah, it was um, <laughs> it was unbelievable that, you know, they said because of suspicious activity or unusual activity, okay, well, what happened? So I'm yeah. still waiting to, to get that answer. Yeah, and I want to say this too, Rick, because I, I really do, you know, with what I do, and I would say, you know, Social media is a double-edged sword. It has its pros. It has its cons. I think we all understand that, recognize that. Obviously, from my perspective, it's given someone like me the opportunity to, or anybody for that matter, to you can literally just go on the internet, start a personal brand, start a podcast, start a media entity, whatever you want to call it, and you can literally build something out of it. But with that being said, because I agree with you, there are some people out there that I think give it a bad rap because I, I think you have to even when you're in, obviously I'm very non-traditional, rough around the, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But I think at the same time, you have to have respect for people like yourself, like people that are the OGs in media and people that currently operate in media and the way they do things and have almost like have respect for the game. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, I really hear you when you say like the people that are doing things for clicks or for retweets, or they're just making rumors or they're just, they're just stoking the fire just to get things going. And it's like, you know, we, we saw that during the the football search where it's just like, you know, and I'm not going to name that. I think everybody probably knows what guy I am talking about, but there was one specific dude that was some media guy that I, I think probably wasn't even a real Twitter account, but this dude was just constantly going off on and on. And it's like, none of it turned out to be true, but it's like, you have to be very careful because people are looking to latch on to things on social media. They, they almost, it's almost like people, they want to believe something so bad. They just need one account or two accounts to say it, and they'll just it just spreads like wildfire. So again, I think that you know while many people tuning into this, they may you know think oh media has changed so much, and you know if 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 somebody prefers an independent outlet versus this that, but I think respecting the overall game and operating about that way is the way to go. So I just wanted to say to you, sir, I, I do agree with you, and uh, again, I think it's about appreciating what you guys do because everybody has a role in this thing that in regards to. For example, covering the Gamecocks and providing the best possible quality content and coverage of the team we all love to watch and love to hear about. So, again, kudos to you guys for doing a fantastic job. Just wanted to say that. Yeah, you um, just have to be accountable yeah, for what exactly. you put out yeah. there. Yep, yeah. 110%. It's all about accountability for sure. Take ownership of it. Talking about and speaking of South Carolina, because, again, I know with you, again, being in the media circuit, you take the – the bias out of it, you know, you talk about Clemson, you guys talk about everybody in the state, whatever, but you are a USC guy when you boil down to it. And I really want to ask you about, again, because I'm sure since your time in Florence, right, I mean, you've been talking Gamecocks. I mean, obviously you guys were covering everything, I'd imagine, or were you more local sports at that point? 
When I was in Florence? When you're in Florence. Uh, when it came to football and college football, um, uh, okay. you know, covered um, Gamecocks, yeah. Clemson, yeah. South Carolina State, um, probably not as uh, extensively as I do now, mainly right. because I was in Florence and it was a little, a little more difficult. Mm. Um, you know, like if we uh, went up to Clemson uh, to cover a football game. And uh, I remember it was uh, an afternoon game and we barely made it back to Florence in time for the 11 o'clock show. They uh, couldn't believe they picked the, that Saturday to do some construction on 26, <laughs> which slowed us down. But no, I was, um, we were big in the football coverage, mm. basketball. This is, um, it was an incredible time to be in Florence covering basketball because there was one year, it was the, uh, 19, it was around 1985, 1986, West Florence High School, they won the state championship with a lineup that they were calling the best starting lineup in the history of South Carolina at the time. Mm. Um, they had three, four guys, maybe that went D1, mm. Wilson High School, um, they had Patrick Sellers, and uh, longtime basketball fans will remember that name because he played at UConn. Mm. And South Florence had a guy that went to Virginia Tech. So the mm. games there in the city of Florence were just unbelievable. And get this, that same season, the Francis Marion women won a national championship, coached by Sylvia Hatchell, who went on to North Carolina. And she won a championship there. She won two at Francis Marion. Mm. Uh, Sacristy High School had this young lady named Beth Hunt. And before Asia Wilson was the USA Today National Player of the Year, Beth Hunt was the National Player of the Year. She went to Maryland before transferring to South Carolina. Wilson High School had Jolette Law, who is now an assistant coach under Don Staley. But Jolette oh, was wow. a point guard who went to Iowa, wound up spending some time with the um, uh, Harlem Globetrotters. Mm -hmm. And she was also a head coach herself mm -hmm. uh, before going to Tennessee to be an assistant and then hooking up with Don. And all that happened, oh, and I forgot, Hartsville girls win the state championship that year. Mm. So I had all that basketball <laughs> going on right. and had very little mm. time to uh, pay any attention to Gamecock basketball, which was kind of struggling at the time, or Clemson basketball. You know, I covered it, you know, on my sportscast. But as far as, like, um, nightly coverage, I mean, every night there was a, a very interesting or important basketball game to cover mm. in the market. But no, we did pay a lot of attention to South Carolina and Clemson. Like in 1984, ooh, I covered just about every uh, USC football game, mm -hmm. the Black Magic season. Oh, because wow. back then, before they were in the SEC, they were playing a lot of North Carolina schools, NC State. Mm -hmm. uh, they played NC State that year. Uh, they play East Carolina. So um, you cover a lot of their home and away games, mm -hmm. you know, just a couple hours trip yeah and like i said on that usc note again and we're, we'll talk specifically football because again you've had the opportunity to cover so many great athletes so many great coaches but again being a a usc guy i mean i, I think specifically you've covered guys like joe morrison uh lou holtz steve spurrier i mean you think of all the great players I, obviously you know, I, this was just after or like right when you started but george rogers winning the heisman i mean sterling sharp I mean, you just go down the list of these you know these great players, how, how, 
how awesome has it been for you? And, and as a, again, as a media personality and a fan also, how crazy has it been to see the evolution of Gamecock football? I mean, just, just, you know, obviously we all want to talk about the 2010 to 2013 and where it really hit its peak under Steve. I mean, I know there, there were, there were longtime Gamecock fans that I would speak to. And again, I was, I look back on those days and I'm like, God, cause I, I was a college kid at that point. Like, I, I really feel like I took it for granted. You know what I mean? I was like, man, we're just, Oh, we're just going to win. You know, whatever this is, this is normal. Now we, we just win 10 games a year. And it's like, when you spoke to the Gamecock fans who'd been watching the past 20, 30, 40 years, they'd give you a lot of perspective on like how special that run and how special it was, what Gamecock football was doing. But again, just speak on it a little bit, just seeing the evolution of counter football, all the great coaches, personalities you've gotten to cover. I, I'm sure that's certainly a highlight for you, kind of watching this thing evolve. And like I said, just getting to interact with, with some of the greatest coaches that not just even have coached at South Carolina, but in college football history. You're right, especially uh, Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier. Those were yeah. some uh, good years. And still, you kind of sit back and you go, wow, can't believe you got these legendary coaches uh, working here at South Carolina, and you get to talk to them on a weekly basis. And so it was a truly a special time because, yeah, I've seen a lot of bad Gamecock football over the years. <laughs> and uh, I think for some of the newer Gamecock fans who came along uh, during the Holtz, Spurrier eras, uh, they were spoiled. You know, it's like, and I tell people, hey, those three consecutive 11 and two seasons with Steve Spurrier, that was really special. Mm. And um, until someone else can do it, you know, I don't know of anyone who can really, and I know a lot of people are upset with the way Steve left. Right. But I said, you know, you really can't criticize the man that much for what he did in having those three 11 and two seasons. Right. You know, everyone can be criticized, but until someone else can do it, yeah. I'm like, hey, that was the greatest era. Um, so far of Gamecock football. Yeah, no, no question. I agree with you 110%. What, what was it like being a, a media guy covering Coach Spurrier? I mean, because he's, he's got a very interesting relationship with the media, and it's one of those things where, you know, you say something, you, you come across the wrong way, I and mean, he'll just zing right at you. And obviously he's so good at that, so witty. Um, how, how cool was that? How, how much fun was that getting to cover Coach Spurrier? Well, you're right. Uh, the thing about – Coach Spurrier, it's like, yeah, he loved to needle the media. Mm. He loved to needle his assistant coaches. <laughs> he, he loved to needle his opponents. And so it was just, um, he never knew what to expect with him. Mm. Uh, you know, he, he kept you on your toes. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I've had the opportunity to MC the Coaches for Charity event. Coaches mm. for Charity is a... Um, organization started by Fisher DeBerry, the former Air Force Academy coach. Mm -hmm. And when they started um, South Carolina Coaches for Charity, uh, they would have the event here in Columbia and I would get the MC. And you would have uh, the Gamecock coach, the Clemson coach, SC State coach, Furman coach, all the coaches would come and they would raise money mm -hmm. for their specific charities. And one year, one item they had, like they had offer like a, the Gamecock package, a Clemson package, um, maybe four tickets to a game. You get to meet the coach and they would have an autographed helmet of that team. The coach would autograph it. And so Steve and I, we were in the um, banquet room while everyone else was out 
wrapping up cocktail hour. You know, I'm getting ready to MC. And Steve hadn't signed his helmet yet. Dabo had signed his, and Dabo signed his ACC champs. That was the year they won the ACC, but they lost to South Carolina. So Steve goes, he asked me, oh, man, what should I sign? What should I put on mine? I said, well, you can sign your state champs. So he goes, that's great. And he, he got so tickled about that. He signed his state champs. Then uh, he looked at me and said, that's your idea. And he was talking to one of his buddies, showing him, and he was just cackling because he knew it was going to needle dabble. You know, so, yeah, I, I, I really miss covering him because it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, I ask you, I, I feel like I'd be, you know, obviously making a mistake to not ask you about Coach Beamer. Uh, of course, Coach Beamer was there during his tenure, and, of course, we're all fired up about – and here's the thing, is that – you guys in the media, and me too, obviously, but you guys in the media, you want Clemson to be good, but you also want South Carolina to be good because it makes the job more fun. It, it makes the job more fun. Like when 2010 to 13, it's just more fun to cover teams that are winning and doing really well. The excitement's there. The buzz is there, which is going to draw more people to your telecast. It's going to get people to read your articles more. So obviously we're all excited about Shane Beamer getting hired, the future of the program. I, I'd love to just hear your honest thoughts when you take a look at the hire and sort of what we've seen to this point with, you know, obviously spring ball wrapping up the spring game happening and we're moving into the off season, but just curious from your perspective, what are your thoughts on the Shane Beamer hire and sort of the direction of Gamecock football right now? I like the hire and I think it's something that South Carolina needed. You know, I mentioned, you know, we talked about Steve Spurrier. We talked about Lou Holtz and there was Paul Dietzel. Mm-hmm. Dietzel, Holtz, and Spurrier, all three coaches that had won national championships at other schools. Mm. And so when you get a high like that, you go, hey, well, maybe they can do the same thing for us. Uh, under Dietzel, his high water mark was winning the uh, 1969 ACC championship, the only conference championship in the history of Gamecock football. Yep. Lou, he had the two Outback Bowls, and then things tailed off. Steve had the uh, great three-year run, and maybe you can look at it, you know, like five years yeah. And um, and he admits, you know, maybe they should have won um, an SEC championship. It didn't happen. There was a game always during that run that kind of mm-hmm. derailed them. And uh, then they weren't able to maintain the recruiting. And, uh, you know, you look at Clemson, a team that has won three national championships. They had Danny Ford, who had never been a head coach, and Dabo, who's never been a head coach. Not saying the same thing is going to happen to South Carolina, but you bring someone in who's passionate. Uh, the one thing about Shane is he really wants to be here. Yeah. He really wants to be here. He's not looking at this as a stepping stone to his next job. You know, if he could stay here 40 years, I think he probably would. Um, so, and, and that kind of just bleeds over to everyone, the assistant coaches, the players. Hey, this guy is here for us. He loves this university. And so we're, you know, we're going to give it our all. Uh, It's going to be tough. Uh, You know, they still have to build up the roster. Uh, They've got some talented players. But the one thing about playing in the SEC, like when South Carolina first joined the SEC, I went, oh, man, they don't have enough players. (laughs) And it's um, what I tell people is if your starter goes out, if you're going to be a great team, can you win? Can your backup play winning football at that position. Mm. If you've got a bunch of backups that can't play winning football and, you know, you have injuries and then in this era of COVID, you know, we're not out of it clearly, mm. Mm. Uh, you're going to struggle. And so, but I'd like the hire of Shane Beamer and I wish him the best. 
Uh, he's great to work with. And again, that passion for wanting to be here, you know, you can't put a price on that. Yeah. I, I love the hire too, man. I'll say again, selfishly from you and I's perspective, I, I love how the excitement and I think the overall just hope and the optimism has returned to Gamecock football again. That makes that makes what you and I do a lot more fun. Let's put it that way. As much as people may think, oh, they, they want to be negative. It's like, no, 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 no. I joke with people, the best thing that could happen to my business is out of my control. South Carolina winning football games. So, like, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, I, w- I want to follow up on something you said. Yeah. You said it's more fun covering winning teams. You're absolutely right. Um, I want all the teams that I cover to be success- successful. Mm-hmm. That's a better story. I'm like the 98, 99 years with um, South Carolina when they went 0 21. It was just, it was really nice. painful. Yeah. Um, because you can see the hurt in the players' eyes, and uh, you just you just don't enjoy it. Yeah. Thank, God, thank God Twitter wasn't around in 1998, 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's <laughs> – <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was bad enough without it. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, Rick, this has been a pleasure. Again, we cannot get out of here, though, without talking about, um, you know, the latest, what happened with you. You are a cancer survivor, my friend. I, I would love to just hear you again – take the floor, expand on that. You know, you find out, you obviously battled. You're someone who, you know, has, has broken barriers. Like I said, you've been resilient. You've dealt with adversity again to beat cancer. That that's, I think that you would probably agree that stands out above anything else you've ever done. If you don't do anything for the rest of your career. And even to the, to this point, what you've done to, to show that resiliency, to beat cancer, to overcome it again, that, that stands out above the rest to me. And again, it just, solidifies like i said in the beginning you're just a certified badass my friend i don't know what else to say just just talk about that though again i'm sure there were some some moments of you know of, of worry if you i mean it's just natural human nature of, of uncertainty but you find out you have it just kind of go into detail uh, of that entire process and then you find out you beat it i mean i I'd just love to hear more in regards to that story well um back last march you know when the sports world shut down uh it was march 16th and i go wow there are no sports going on. I have nothing to do, mm. but I had a lot of comp time uh, that had accumulated since I started working at WIS back in 1988. It was like four months. So I told uh, my news director, hey, I'm just going to go to the house for a while. I said, I'll see you April 1st, thinking maybe uh, we'd have an idea of what was going on. Well, you, you know how that turned out. But no, that was March 16th, uh, the last day I worked. Um, then on March 31st, I was diagnosed. I had prostate cancer. You're, uh, you know, until you hear the words come out of the doctor's mouth and he's talking about you, yes, cancer, I'll, I'll never forget. He was still talking. And, um, you know, it's like I was in a state of um, uh, perhaps suspended animation. I see his lips moving, but I'm not hearing anything. And, you know, till you snap yourself back to reality. And so that was stunning. But um, they caught it early, and we decided I would have surgery. I went down to Orlando, um, where a doctor is one of the best in the world at this procedure. And one thing that really helped me out during that time, one reason I wanted to go public is because it's like one in seven, one out of eight men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. Mm. But you know how guys are. You know, we can be hard-headed about taking care of ourselves, going to see the doctor, talking about our family history. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, make people aware that if it's detected early, 
you can have a good outcome. I had the surgery and thank God I don't need chemo mm. or radiation. Um, I had the surgery August 20th. And, but then my family faced another challenge because this past November, my wife was diagnosed with a tumor on her kidney, which was also cancerous. Um, she had surgery in January. Same outcome that I had, no chemo, no radiation. She's mm -hmm. good. And so <laughs> we looked back on this year and said, this is unbelievable. It's, uh, if someone would have told me that, hey, you're going to be dealing with a pandemic that shuts down everything, the sports world, uh, people will be quarantining in their homes. And plus you and your wife will both be diagnosed with cancer. Again, I would have been seeking help for that person. But we're coming out strong. And like, <laughs> once uh, I got the diagnosis of cancer, it's kind of like you go, pandemic? Pandemic? Ah, shoot, that's nothing. Uh, I, I got something bigger to deal with. And after I went public, the outpouring of support that uh, I received from people was overwhelming. I, I was, it just took me by surprise. And that also helped me remain positive. So that's why I say everybody needs as much positivity in their lives as uh, possible. And like and the amount of um, former athletes and coaches who reached out to me. I mean, Coach Spurrier called me, uh, uh, Tommy Bowden, former Clemson coach, <laughs> a bunch of former USC quarterbacks, uh, Steven Garcia, uh, Perry Orth, Connor Shaw, I mean, it was just great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank everyone. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. And also for your wife. I mean, that's like I said, you, you, th you think you're listening. You think you had a tough 2020. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, we survived and stronger than ever. Yeah, perspective is a beautiful thing, man. Like I said, congratulations. Like I said, of all the things you've done in, in media and your career, I mean, beating cancer, that, that just that, that stands above all to me. Rick, I'm going to get you out of here. You've been great and gracious with your time, and I truly appreciate it. One last thing, though, because I'm sure there's some people listening that are either, you know, maybe they're, they want to pursue a, a career in media, maybe they're at USC, whatever it is, to the, to the young, you know, media personalities or maybe the future broadcasters or people that want to go take the unconventional route and just go into social media and talk Gamecocks and try to make their own platform. For anybody like that, like what would be your piece of advice from someone who has done so much and has rolled with the punches and again, beaten cancer, but on the media side of things has, like I said, evolved with the changing times. What would be your piece of advice to a, a young broadcaster, a young media personality that's just looking to break in and start? First of all, you need patience. A lot of people now in this, uh, I call it the microwave generation mm -hmm. uh, where everything seems to happen instantly. B, you have to have patience. Um, you have to put in your dues. You have to work hard. Uh, for someone maybe who's in school now, try to do as many internships as you can. Learn as much as you can about the business. Learn to do a number of jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the best things that happened to me is, yeah, I was the sports director, uh, but I started off as a one-man sports department where I had to learn how to shoot, I had to write, I had to produce, I had to edit. That way you become more valuable, mm. you know, because when people are looking to make cuts for whatever reason, they go, well, hey, this person can only do one thing. You know, that's, that's not gonna help us out that much. Um, that's, that's probably the best advice I can give people, but also 
um, make sure this is something that you want to do and you're doing it for the right reasons. If you're doing it to become famous, if you're doing it to become rich, it's not going to happen. You have to do it because this is what you want to do and you love it. And so uh, people can follow your example, you know, do a, do a podcast. If you're really good and get your name out there, that can grow and lead to bigger and better opportunities. Mm-hmm. But I just say, be, if this is what you want to do, go for it. Be passionate about it and uh, also be very confident. Mm-hmm. And you got to have the attitude, I can do this. I don't care what anyone else says. I'm believing in me and I'm going for it. Rick Henry. Very well said, man. That's great stuff. Rick, again, I appreciate you being gracious for the time. This has been amazing. Uh, be sure to tune in WISTV, WISTV.com. And also again, at Rick Henry TV, right on Twitter at Rick Henry Rick TV. Henry let's TV. get, that's the new let's Twitter get, account. Let's get Rick Henry, his Twitter following back at Rick Henry TV. And Rick, I'll tell you, I will do my part on social media to make sure people are aware because we need to get your Twitter following back. We got to get it back for you. But uh, no, seriously, man, this has been a pleasure, truly an honor to talk with you. Like I said, when I when I think of South Carolina media, there's a lot of people that do a great job. But you, sir, again, like I said, the OG in in sports media, especially when it comes to South Carolina. So, again, thank you for taking the time to drop your wisdom and uh, appreciate it, man. Let's do it again soon for sure. I would love to. I appreciate your kind words, and um, I'm so glad you gave me this opportunity. Thank you very much. Absolutely. For Rick Henry, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show.